Can I ask you a question? What are your honest thoughts when you hear the word church? Over the years, I've met people that say, I like Jesus, I just don't like his church. As a pastor's kid, I had a front row seat growing up to see the church warts and all. And I wasn't always sure what I thought about church. And uh, I've met people, again, that have had different experiences. And they said, you know, I don't know why people think I need to be part of a church. I believe in God, those kind of things. And again, I've taught this before, but over the years, the Lord showed me that Jesus and his church are a package deal. You love Jesus. You love his church. It doesn't mean it's always easy, but it is the way that God shapes our lives. He changes us. He builds character in our lives. And again, you may say, like, where do you get this? Well, there's several things I could tell you. But one of them I'll just tell you is the guy that's writing this letter that we're about to look at again today was uh, formerly an enemy of the church. He did everything he could to stamp it out. And one day he met Jesus on a Damascus road. Uh, a light knocked him to the ground, blinded him, and as he was laying on the ground, he said, who are you? And he heard this question, Saul, Saul, eventually his name became Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Me. Who is he persecuting? Christians. And what Jesus taught Paul in that split second is the way you treat my people is the way you treat me. It's a package deal. Love me. Love my church. Now, the reason I share this is because against this backdrop, you need to know that as we talk about the idea of enduring, Paul is writing this letter just weeks or months before he's going to be beheaded by Nero in Rome. He's in prison, and he's writing to his younger associate, Timothy, who's pastoring a church in Ephesus, and he's giving him instructions about how to endure personally, but also how to help the church prevail. Because he understands that Jesus loves his church, and he wants his church to prevail. And his church is made up of every authentic believer that has truly come to know Jesus and given their lives to him. And so I bring all this up because I want you to be aware of that. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. It's in the last 50 pages of your Bible. And if you didn't bring a Bible, if you take one of the black ones out that I think says NIV on the end of it, you can just pull it out and turn to page 832 and 833. And what I want us to see today is that as you're doing that, I know I always think uh, do this when you're trying to turn to your Bible. If you can multitask, what I hope you'll see in the message notes today is that Christ deeply loves his people, the church. Christ deeply loves his people, the church, and he doesn't want us just to survive. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to thrive even when the conditions around us or the conditions that we face may be difficult. And he wants to be the kind of church that is vital in a, in a dying world. And so because of that, Paul gave, instead of persecuting the church, opposing the church, now he gave himself to Jesus and the building up of the church. Now, when you think about enduring, Steve mentioned this last week. What I hope you'll see if you're following in the notes is this, is that trouble, you know, for the church 
can come from the inside, not just outside the church. Trouble, times of testing, can come not just from the outside, but also inside. So from, trouble can come from the inside, not just the outside of the church. And uh, again, what I hope you'll see this morning is that if we are going to be a group of believers, and I know there's some of you here that are not believers yet. I'm just so glad you're here. I'm glad you're willing to listen. I'm glad you're willing to try and figure out where you are with Jesus. But if we're going to be a group of people who are believers and follow Jesus thick through thick and thin, then we need to understand what it would look like for us to endure. So that's why we have these banners up here. That's why we're studying this right now. But when it comes to times of testing, sometimes when the tests come from inside the church, we realize that Paul was right when he said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this dark, evil world. There are things going on, and when the evil one is trying to destroy the church, he can use someone like Saul. He sometimes uses people to do things outside the church against the church, and other times he uses people inside the church to wreak havoc. And today, we're going to look at how we can become weakened, how we can become ruined as a church if we're not careful, how we can fail to endure if we don't pay attention to certain things inside the church. And here's what I want you to notice as we read these verses in just a little bit in 2 Timothy 2. This primarily has to do with the way that we handle words. The words we speak and the word of God. And so I hope you'll see in this text today, you can see the outline in your notes, that we're going to first look at how to incorrectly handle God's Word and how to correctly handle God's Word. And it really does matter what kind of spirit, what kind of way that we speak with each other. And so Paul talks about this. He says, look, Timothy, I want you to continue to remind people and warn people about some things. And he talks about that. So would you mind if I pray, and then we'll jump in and see the correct way to handle God's Word as well as the incorrect way to handle God's Word. Now, Lord, we want to be the real article. We want to be the genuine group of believers in this community, and we pray you'd help us with that. We pray you'd help us fight the shallowness that still exists in in our lives, and we pray, Lord, that we can be faithful to you and that you'll deal with us, God, in any areas that maybe we've gotten careless or sloppy. And we thank you that you do that for our good. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let me ask you to do this. I'm going to read starting in verses 14 through 19 today. That's where we're going to spend time. And uh, I want to read verse 14, and then I'm going to invite you to read verse 15. I'll read 16 through 18, then I'm going to invite you to read verse 19. Do you see both of those on the notes? So if you can be ready with me, let's look at this passage and then we'll unpack it. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Would you read verse 15 with me? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Verse 16. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. 
They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Let's read verse 19 together. But the solid foundation that God has laid cannot be shaken, and on it are written these words, The Lord knows those who are his, and those who say that they belong to the Lord must turn away from wrongdoing. Okay? So let's look at this incorrectly handling God's word. You'll notice in verse 14 that he says, keep reminding God's people of these things. What things? Probably the best way to understand it is what Steve helped us see last week in that saying, that trustworthy saying that we saw. And that is this, is that there is a need to keep persevering and also to be aware of the consequences if we do not really trust Christ. And so that that reminder is important, to keep reminding people to keep their eyes on Jesus and who he is, what he's done, and what he's promised. So those are the reminders. But then he says, warn them. Warn them. And warning sometimes sounds harsh to us, but warning is a love word when it's understood correctly. It's a protective word. And so he says this. He says, warn them before God against quarreling about words. You, you, when you think of quarreling, what do you think of? I found it fascinating to study this more this week. Uh, a man named C.W. Booth says this. In medieval England, the crossbow, you guys ever seen a crossbow? The crossbow dart or arrow used to kill or wound the enemy soldier was called a quarrel. When in the course of warfare, these deadly darts were exchanged back and forth across the battlefield with mortal intent, the enemy soldiers could be said to be quarreling. Get that image? Shooting arrows back and forth at each other. Quarreling then, as now, had no better goal than to destroy the opponent. The objective was not to educate, inform, edify, or otherwise assist, but destruction and ruination were the willful and purposeful endpoints. So, he goes on and says, quarreling is the activity where two people are attempting with purpose and will to injure one another, not for the good of the other, but for his ruination. That's a fascinating thing. So, I looked at some of the verses that talk about this in the Bible. Look up here if you would. I've listed some of these uh, on the back, uh, on the notes there, Proverbs 17, 19, you'll see out to the right. But look at some of these other ones, okay? Let's read this out loud. This is an interesting verse. Whoever loves a quarrel loves sin. Wow. Wow. Here's another one. You don't need to read all these out loud with me, but I thought that was a short one we could all handle. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. Hmm. Unfriendly person. Interesting. Next one. It's to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to what? Quarrel. What's the next one? Proverbs 22.10. Drive out the mocker and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. Okay? Is there one more? Yep. So Proverbs 26, 20, and 21. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. Now, we've been talking about enduring. Can you see what a spirit of quarreling 
can do to the inside of a church family or a life group or anything. If you're following along the notes, notice that quarreling is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but 10-year-old Bobby was watching the evening news with his dad one night, and as a report about a war going on in the Middle East ended, he turned to his dad and he says, Dad, how do wars begin? So his father replied, well, take World War I, for example. It all started when Germany invaded Belgium. But before he could finish his thought, his wife, who was just entering the room, interrupted, that's not how it happened. It began when the Archduke was assassinated. The husband instantly scowled and snapped back, are you answering his question or am I? Turning with a huff, the wife stormed out from the living room, slamming the kitchen door on her way out, and when the dishes in the cabinet finally stopped rattling, an uneasy silence followed. After a minute, Bobby broke the silence and said, Dad, that's okay. You don't have to tell me anymore. Now I know. <laughs> have you ever... Here's what's interesting. When you get to preach on this, and then it happens in your own life, it's fascinating. Trish and I got into some discussions about renovating our house this week, and boy, did our opinions fly. And they weren't just opinions anymore. They were battle words. And I just found myself, it just escalated. We were just going, like, what in the world? And we are able to laugh about it later, but we just realized it's very easy for our pride to get in there. And this spirit of quarreling just tears at the fabric of relationships. It just does. And Paul says, warn people about getting into that. Now, what does it mean, quarreling about words? What this means most likely is that people were taking uh, all kinds of uh, different things in the Scripture, and they were arguing over fine points. They were arguing minutiae. They were majoring on minors, and they were, they were making it so important that they were willing to tear someone up if they had to, and they just, they just got this infected spirit with each other. And again, this kind of stuff can happen, and almost always behind it is a spirit of pride. Sometimes it's a spirit of jealousy or envy, gossip, tearing down, any of these kinds of words that you can get into when you begin to have this hostile spirit towards each other about words. So, but there's another way to incorrectly handle God's word. He goes on in verse 16, and he says, avoid. In other words, get away from, don't have anything to do with, avoid godless chatter. Avoid godless chatter. Now, what's godless chatter if you're following along in the notes? By the way, it, it actually means empty babblings or irreverent babbling, but here's what I want you to write down. Proudly babbling opposing ideas. Proudly babbling opposing ideas. Most scholars believe that these were extra-biblical things that people wanted to get into all kinds of controversy about. Uh, these were human ideas exalted over God's Word. And it's real easy, isn't it? If a, word, if a book becomes popular in society, for it to suddenly become exciting inside a church. And I'm not saying that books can't help. I'm just saying we've got to be careful that we don't ever love books, the latest thing, more than God's Word if they're contradictory. See? 
And so there was all this kind of stuff going on. And if you see in 1 Timothy, he mentions this there too. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. Look at what it says. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed from the truth. I had a buddy who mentored me, and he told how years ago he was invited to speak to the youth group of this church, and at the door, two of the biggest athletic guys in the youth group grabbed him, and then another person pulled back the collar of his shirt to see if his shirt was 100% cotton. Because if it had mixed fabric, then they wouldn't listen to a word he said. What they were doing is they were taking an Old Testament uh, law that God gave for the people of Israel as an example, and they were turning that into the way that they would or would not listen to people. You want to talk about controversial. And he just, he remember just thinking, wow, man, things can get weird and crazy in the church. And so that's the kind of stuff, we need to be level-headed about that stuff. We've got to be careful that we don't get into godless chatter. But what I want you to know is I've seen this happen in my own life. When I was in seminary, uh, we got into uh, certain ways of talking and we would judge every guest speaker in chapel by whether or not they used the language we thought was the way to talk. Now, here's where I knew that I had changed. When Trish and I were involved at a church in Wheaton, before I went to seminary there in Kansas City, we had heard this godly man named Robert Coleman speak. He wrote the Master Plan of Evangelism, and just a tremendous guy. And I remember being deeply moved by this guy's message. A few years later, he comes to our seminary, and now, because I've got all this kind of controversial, kinds of high-minded, intellectual, academic kinds of ways of thinking, and I'm not against intellectual or academic, I'm saying this was filled with pride, spiritual pride, that when this guy spoke, I, could, I wrote him off as soon as he started using certain words. Because the group that I was part of, we were in the godless chatter. We were in the, I think this is what's important. And you know, friends, what it is, it's a lot of opinions being exalted to the place of authority. And we live in a culture that loves talk radio. We love talk shows. We love exalting human opinion to a place where we begin to think our opinion is more important than what God says. And we just have to be careful of that. He says, avoid that stuff. Don't get caught up in that. And why? If you're following along, why? Because it makes one more ungodly and it spreads like gangrene. It makes one more ungodly and spreads like gangrene. As, this is an interesting verse. When it says, those who indulge in godless chatter, godless means where God's not at the center of your life. Those who indulge in godless chatter those who indulge in it, they become more and more ungodly. Interesting word. And this is kind of a play on words. It says, they advance. They progress. Again, what, what is the constant temptation for all of us is to be progressive, right? It's to be cutting edge. It's to say, I'm really moving ahead. I'm not way back here where all you, you know, fogies or old, you know, old-minded people are. Hey, come on. And that idea of being progressive is so tempting to a lot of people. Here's what he says. They progress all right, 
just in the wrong direction. They become more and more ungodly. Wow, that's powerful. And then he says it spreads like gangrene. Now, I used to hear about gangrene because I have an interest in the Civil War. And I learned that more soldiers died from things like gangrene than they actually did from being killed on the battlefield. In other words, the stuff that would spread in their bodies after surgery and things like that. Have you ever seen that? Now, I don't know. If you have a weak stomach, don't watch this picture I'm going to put up here, okay? But I just want to show you what gangrene looks like on a person's foot, okay? That is dead, that's dead and rotting flesh, okay? And what it is, it works through the bloodstream and it smells horrible and it spreads so quickly that a lot of times amputation is the only way to stop it sometimes if you don't have the right you know, uh, anti- antibiotics and things like that. You can take it down. I don't want to make people sick. But I'm just saying is, is that he, what he's saying is this. Look, if you want to make the inside of a church smell, if you want to kill the life inside a church, get involved in quarreling and godless chatter, and it'll mess things over. Come on. Timothy, remind people, remind people, warn people, say, come on, it's very important the way that you talk, the kind of spirit that you bring to the church. So we've been talking a lot about this. And uh, Paul is going to reference at the end of this passage we just read in verse 19, an Old Testament story, but I want to tell it to you now, okay? So it's found in Numbers 16, and it's a perfect example where there was a guy named Korah and some of his friends who started speaking against Moses and against God in the group. And they stirred up all kinds of gangrenous kind of stuff. So here, here, we'll walk through this kind of quickly, but look at this story, number 16. Korah, son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, and the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and An, son of Peleth, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? Moses had never done this, by the way. This guy is spreading all kinds of untruth, and he's spreading stuff out of envy and jealousy. Okay? When Moses heard this, look at his humble response. He fell face down. I've thought of this many times. What a powerful reaction. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, In the morning, the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers and tomorrow, put burning coals and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. Okay, then it goes on. Look at what it says next. So each of them took his censer, put burning coals and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. Let's go on. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the assembly, Move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Now it goes on. He warned the assembly, Moses did, Move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of all their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. 
Dathan and Abiram had come out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrances to their tents. Then Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead and everything they own. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Now Paul is going to reference this in verse 19, and I'll explain why in just a little bit. But here's what I want you to know. There are times when God has showed how important things are to him. And he absolutely cannot stand it when you and I do divisive things, when we do things to be disruptive. And so that's the wrong way to handle God's word. That's the wrong way to handle words inside the church so that we can be an enduring church. What's the correct way to handle God's word? So we see that in verse 15. Would you read it with me again, that first gray box? Let's read it. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. First, I want you to see that handling God's word and the way that we talk inside his church calls for a spirit of reverence before God. It calls for a spirit of reverence before God. Now, I want to just mention this to you. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the word of God a couple more times. In a few weeks, Pastor Steve's going to talk about the Word of God in chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3. In chapter 4, I'm going to be teaching again on how to make sure that no matter what changes in our society, that we've got to be a church that constantly preaches the Word of God. Now, here's the thing. What does this say? This says this, the Word of God is absolutely part of an enduring church. And I said this a few weeks ago. This is laughable to our society. More and more Americans believe the Bible is not credible. It's not trustworthy. That it doesn't have the authority that God says it does. And so we just need to be aware of that. And again, I don't know where you are with the word of God, but it calls for a spirit of reverence before God. Do you see what it says? Two places. In verse 14, he says, warn them, what? Before God. Warn them before God. Let them know this isn't just you saying, hey, you better watch out. No, say, hey, we're doing this in the presence of God. He knows how we're talking. He knows what we're doing with his word. Warn them. And the second thing is he says, do your best to present yourself to who? This idea of presenting yourself carries with it the idea that you and I are going to stand before God one day and give an account. But also the way each day we wake up and present ourselves to God is a holy thing. And I know that many of us, we get into patterns where we just drift along, we just live by our feelings and all that kind of stuff. But every day, if you're going to live this life with Jesus, it means learning how to present ourselves to God. And then it says, as one approved. 
That idea means is, is somebody that's gone through testing, just like gold or silver has, and it's been purified so that everything that's not gold or silver is gone. And so we've gone through these different testings, and it proves that we're the real deal, that we really mean what we say when we follow Jesus. And so do your best to, to present yourself that way, the spirit of reverence. The second thing is, I hope you see, is that to correctly handle or cut straight with God's word. To correctly handle means to cut straight with God's word. It's interesting, if you, you, you know this, the verb uh, in this is orthotometo. And some of us are used to orthot, you know, we've heard of ortho. So if you've uh, met an orthopedic surgeon, like we have in our church, or you know an orthodontist, what are they about? Straightening, right? Straightening a bone. My mother had knee replacement surgery this last week, and uh, doctor said to her, your knee is now, your leg is now as straight as an arrow, okay? What did he do? He straightened it. Again, an orthodontist, what happens? You take crooked teeth or teeth that are out of line, and you bring them into alignment, right? And the idea here is he says, look, be the kind of person that whenever you handle God's word, cut it straight. The idea here is to cut a road straight through even a forest in the straightest possible direction so you can get from here to there without deviating. I was in, told you I was in England this summer. One of the things that I was able to do, as I've done before, is to visit some first century Roman places. And what they talked about is the Romans, when they were in England, they built the straightest roads. That was their way of doing things. Other nations would build roads that would do this kind of thing. Not Rome. Straightest point. They wanted their soldiers to march from here to there without any deviation. And friends, when you and I handle God's word, we got to be careful that we just don't like, you know, mess around with it and say, you know, well, I think I'm going to get off into this whole thing and I'm going to go. No, we need to say, how does it say it straight? And how can I keep it straight, apply it straight to my life? And so that's the idea. Now, part of this, as you can see, has a lot to do with the spirit we have. And a few summers ago uh, at the vision talk, I told you that I really do sense that God is more interested in the spirit of our church than what we do. Because if we get the spirit of our church right, then what we do will be good. But what I want us to see is this idea of H2. Do you remember, if you were here, do you remember what helps a church have a healthy spirit? Hunger and, here it is, humility. One of the things that can happen, and I think this is why Paul says at the beginning, remind God's people of these things, is because after a while we walk with the Lord, we can lose our hunger for God. We can lose our hunger for living a holy life, completely His. We can lose our hunger for His Word. We can lose our hunger to know Him better, hunger to serve Him wholeheartedly. We can lose that hunger. We go through different things, and we just aren't hungry for that anymore. We're hungry for what the world might give us. We're hungry for something or someone else, but we lost that. But if we want to have the right spirit, it's never losing that. It's never getting to the place where we go, you know, yeah, yeah it's, it's not that important. And then the other attitude is this, humility. Humility before God and humility with each other. Have you noticed the difference when there's a humble spirit in a family, in a relationship, in a church? 
And so these are the things that really are behind what Paul's saying, that if we're going to be the kind of church that endures, we cannot lose this H2 spirit. We've got to have a spirit of reverence, and we've got to have a spirit of making sure that we're hungry for the truth of God's word, even if it cuts us straight to the heart. The, second, the next thing I want you to see if you're following along is that it calls for humble reminders and warnings. It calls for humble reminders and warnings. You know, handling God's word means that we're the kind of church, not just the pastors now, but every one of us, the way we handle God's words, that we lovingly remind each other of what God says. So many of you have done this over the years for me. You've said, this verse meant a lot to me, or I'm thinking of you, praying for you this way. Maybe you've had some other people do this. But also there's been different times when people have given me loving warnings. Uh, A while back, uh, Trish and I left uh, a social event we were at, and we were in the car, and she just said, you know, Jeff, um, I know you value your opinions, and I would just urge you, I'm not suggesting you don't give your opinions, but watch the spirit in which you give your opinions. You, you came on pretty strong. I don't know if you realize that. Well, you know, that, that wasn't exactly what I wanted to hear. But you know what I realized? She loves me enough to call out the best version of me, not the worst. That's a loving thing. And she reminded me that the spirit in which we talk to each other, the way we handle the truth of God, is just as important as those words. And so we need to be careful. And so, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible actually says we need to watch out for divisiveness and divisive people in the church. Look at Titus 3, if you would, 9 through 11, up here on the screen. It says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once. In other words, warn them in the hope that they'll change their mind. Don't warn them just to say, I'm warning you, but I don't care about you. No, warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. In other words, give them a chance to show a change of heart. After that, have nothing to do with them. Remember, avoid that kind of stuff. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful, and they are self-condemned. So I want to write one more thing up here on the blackboard. I don't know if you know this, but the spiritual leaders of our church are called the elders, the shepherds of a church. And uh, what we are responsible for at Cherry Hills, we often uh, put in this language, SPDV. SPDV. We're responsible to shepherd the church, in other words, lovingly care for the church and be concerned about people in the church. We're responsible to pray And we often do that at people's request, as well as down front on Sundays. We're responsible to do that. We're responsible for discipline. Just like parents are responsible to train up and discipline their kids so they become great kids. The similar way, discipline. That means challenge. That means, if necessary, a rebuke or a correction. And then we're also responsible for vision. That is to discern what is God saying, where does he want us to go, whether it's fighting shallow Christianity, loving the Lord, loving one another, serving the world. And so, again, in case you don't know this, again, if a situation comes about in our church where we become aware that there are some people sideways with each other or people that are spreading different things in our church and they're showing no change of heart after different people are saying, oh, come on, be careful. Please be careful. 
then elders, elders will arrange an appointment and meet with people and go, come on, there's a lot at stake. There's no way we can be an enduring, thriving church if you continue to hold to that attitude. See, Moses tried to appeal to Korah, and what did Korah do? He had nothing to do with it. He was absolutely warped and sinful. He had no desire. And every once in a while, friends, I've seen it. You've seen it too. In a church family, this kind of recalcitrant attitude exists in different people. And at that point, unless you deal with that kind of cancerous spirit, it will affect other people and spread like gangrene. Paul says, come on, be careful. And so, again, if you know our elders, they're as humble as you can get, but they're also willing to be firm when necessary about these things. So I appreciate that so much. And then notice what this leads to. If we're going to correctly handle God's word, instead of spreading the wrong kind of words, it leads to spreading words that build up his church. It leads to spreading words that build up his church. If you look up here on the screen, you'll see Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. Look at these words again. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now, we'll talk more about this next fall, but I've shared this before. I used to work in the produce department. That word for unwholesome means don't let any rotting words come out of your mouth. And my brother and I, when we used to work in the produce department, all the soft fruit would get this brown kind of slimy stuff that would start growing on it. You know what I'm talking about? So we had a name for it. We called it spew. And so basically what Paul's saying is don't let any spew come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When you think about the words that you're saying in our church family, both when you're with people and when you're not with those people, do you speak well? of other people. Man, the Holy Spirit's been going after me on this the last few years. He says, it really is, really be careful about the words you say. Don't be careless. Be careful and make sure there are words that build up. Some of you have heard over the years, I developed this phrase called Christian gossip. I think it's so much better. You know what it means? You spread good words about people. I'm not talking about flattery. I'm not talking about making things up and trying to just be fake with people. I'm talking about every time you hear something good about someone else, spread that. Spread it. Man, what a difference it makes. And if there are unwholesome words coming out of your mouth, keep short accounts. Make those right. Before I went on sabbatical, I had a conversation with... uh, person in this church, and it involves uh, kind of some tense discussion and some challenge and things like that, and I, I did my very best, I thought, to talk in that situation. I get back from sabbatical, and uh, I've been back a few weeks, and one day when I'm shaving, all of a sudden, the Lord brought back two sentences that I'd said in that hour-long conversation that he said, You may have said the right words, but the spirit in which you said them were prideful. Now, again, he didn't just point that out to me. I knew the minute it came across the ticker of my mind, he was absolutely right. So I I realized that I needed to make that right. So I eventually called that friend, and I said, "Uh, 
I know we were trying to speak to each other in a careful way, but I think I failed in a couple moments there, and the Lord's shown that to me, and I need to apologize to you. Now, I want to just ask you, does that help grace flow or infection flow? It's a completely different spirit, see? This stuff is for all of us. How do we handle God's word? How do we handle the words we say? So in closing, I want to just ask you this question. Can you pray this prayer this morning? Lord, show me any wrong spirit or words that I have spread. Show me any wrong spirit or words that I have spread. Why? So that I can, I can do something about it, God. Because I want our church to be a healthy kind of church that can endure. So I just tell you a story that comes out of our family. When my dad was a pastor at another church many years ago, he began his work there, and as he worked, he, he kind of noticed that something was just not right. No matter when he would preach on Sundays, it was just like there was a ceiling in this church. People just weren't willing or ready to give their hearts. There was always this reticence. But he kept praying, and he just kept trying to be faithful, and he kept preaching God's word. And uh, they had uh, some guests come for like a lay witness mission where the people just opened their hearts and shared honestly about what it meant for them to grow in Christ. And at the end of it, a number of the people in the church were cut straight to the heart by their honest sharing. And there were some tears, and there were some beautiful things that happened at church, but there was a person that waited afterwards to talk to my dad. It was my dad's secretary. And my dad's secretary said, for the last two years, I have spread lies about you. I have said as many destructive things as I could to other people. And I have done it because it made me feel powerful. And the Lord showed me this morning that I am terribly sinful. I've sinned against him and his church and against you. And I'm wondering if you could possibly forgive me. My dad said it was so genuine. It was such a pure work of God in this woman's heart. He was moved. She made that right with a number of people. And he said in the coming months and years, the freedom of God to work in that church changed because someone understood that Christ loves his church. And he loves when the spirit of the church and the people and the words they say are correctly handled. So we're just going to be quiet for the next couple minutes. And I want to just ask you, I have no idea where you are this morning. Some of you may have something else on your mind. But what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is he saying to you? I'm going to be listening what he's saying to me. But as Michelle scores, you're going to hear the melody of how beautiful in the background, which is how beautiful is the body of Christ that he gave his life for, that we might be his people. So bow your head and ask yourself, Lord, what are you saying to me?
I don't know if anyone's ever explained the difference between conviction and condemnation to you. The Holy Spirit convicts, the evil one condemns. And the Holy Spirit convicts in order to correct, in order to straighten, in order to help, in order to make healthy. Conviction is clean, condemnation is dirty. Conviction comes, and the minute it comes, we know the Lord's put his finger exactly on something. And so whatever he might be saying to you, if it's convicting, know that he's doing that because he wants not only to help you, but he wants to help our church. Be real. And again, I appreciate how so many of us in this church are learning how to carefully handle, correctly handle God's word and to also handle words with each other. And so I, I just, I bless you, Cherry Hills. Thankful for you. But let's have a spirit of hunger and humility. Amen? And um, so I want to just pray. And I just know there'll be people waiting down front. And uh, I'm glad we can worship together. Now, Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, there's words we've said to family members, if there's words we've said to unbelievers, if there's words we've said to people outside the church, I pray that you would help us to correctly handle your word in such a way that your spirit can do your work. Show us the importance of words and the danger of quarreling and chattering godless things. And I pray, God, that you'll do it for your glory and prepare us for whatever may come. Amen. God bless you.